Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Hey folks, just a quick announcement before we get rolling with this episode. I just uploaded 26 unique training plans to my website. They range from 12-week base building plans all the way up to advanced 100-mile training plans. If you're looking for a bit more guidance with your training, please consider checking out my offerings at zachbitter.com. That's Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. Once on the site, click the link on the top titled Training Plans and see if anything fits your needs. I'm also looking to continue to add to this catalog, so do not hesitate to reach out with any suggestions. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I believe this is the very first live recording, the very first live recording that I'm going to put up on the podcast side of things, uh, as well as the YouTube channel. So for those of you who are coming in to check it out, uh, welcome. And um, a couple things before we get rolling on some topics for this episode. Uh, if you like the video, great. I'm always welcoming people to check things out on the video side of things. If not, this podcast is always available on all the podcast listening platforms. So links in the show notes can direct you towards some of the more popular ones. Or if you have a podcast listening app that you really like, if you search human performance outliers podcast, you can find it there as well. So, uh, um, a couple things related to, uh, to the, to the podcast in general, I th- I'm going to be doing a few more live shows, I think at least through part of the summer here. And one way I think I'm going to start that up is just doing a bit of a check-in on a weekly basis. I'm planning on Wednesdays at 1 PM Pacific time, assuming that ends up working out well uh, in most cases, as I kind of go through what will be a very different training plan than what I've done historically. So for those of you who have been kind of following me or following the podcast, you probably already know that I'm preparing for a really big project that's going to be quite a bit different from anything I've ever done in the past in regards to ultra marathon running. And that's called a transcontinental run, or essentially what it'll be for me is I'll be starting in San Francisco, living out of an RV for for weeks, and then eventually ending up in New York, assuming things all go well. And I'm doing it for a charity called Fight for the Forgotten. If you're kind of interested in a little bit of kind of how that started, I actually chatted about it on the Joe Rogan Experience in December of 2019. I believe that's episode uh, 1,392. So we, we chat about that a little bit at the very end. I've also had Justin on the, the podcast here, who is the founder of Fight for the Forgotten. He kind of gives his background story, why he started the charity and everything else. Uh, but 
essentially his his big humanitarian effort has been uh, raising awareness, raising funds for what he considers the most forgotten group of people in the planet, which are the the pygmy tribe um, over in the the Congo or specifically the Uganda. Um, so it's going to be kind of fun to to help him out and help out his his charity with this type of stuff. And uh, the the running part of it is uh, the part that, that I'm going to try to do to help with that. So it it was a it was also a project that I um got interested in I would say like kind of early in my ultra running career just as something I thought I'm going to do this eventually but really didn't have a great uh reason to do it or something to really kind of put a firm date down so uh meeting Justin hearing about his stuff was kind of the catalyst there so we're targeting September 1st for the start which gives me roughly 10 weeks uh to build up and kind of peak for that particular thing uh so for those of you who kind of follow my training and my philosophy to running you know I follow what I like to call kind of a periodized training structure that moves closer towards race day intensities or events in this case, intensities and specifics. So the big difference for me here is going to be to date, I've done basically all single day ultra marathons or ultra marathons that are 24 hours or less. And the idea there is that you push yourself uh, as hard as you can and kind of wring yourself dry over the course of whatever time frame it takes you within that day you know, there's going to be some things that just naturally happen through that process, like dehydration, uh, energy deficit, perhaps sleep deprivation, those sort of things that you kind of just take that bullet, so to speak, during the event itself, knowing that afterwards, you can just shut it down and do hardly anything, at least for a few days afterwards. Uh, that's going to be the big difference. So for this, uh, the record for the transcontinental run is uh, just over six weeks. It's actually 42 days, six hours and 30 minutes by Pete Koselnik. It averages like just over 72 miles a day. So if I want any hope of keeping up with Pete's journey in 2016, I essentially need to do a fairly long ultra marathon every day, which means I'm going to have to get up and do it again the next day, which means I got to be on top of things like nutrition, hydration, and getting some sleep in between days to make sure that, you know, every day I can get up and do it again versus, you know, being able to kind of play catch up in the following days, if that kind of makes sense. So that's going to be the part that I have to try to kind of solve between now and then. And I've played around with a few different strategies just uh, in my head before I really got into peak training or not peak training, but the start of the buildup for this. And um, I've toyed around with possibly doing some run walk strategies, which I think I will implement to a degree. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit of this after I kind of reflect on the first week of the buildup. I'm a little more open-minded to a more consistent pace strategy uh, just after looking at kind of the numbers and getting a feel for like kind of the, how it feels to run those paces on kind of semi-tired legs. Ultimately I'll make that decision when I get myself in a position where I can do a simulation of the event itself, which I'll also talk about a little bit here in terms of kind of how I'm going to structure, structure a simulation. Uh, what I want to do for that is, Obviously, I'll be leaning on a lifetime of running. Uh, it's you know, it's one of those things where a lot of the variables for something like this is going to be just making sure I don't get injured, and you know, doing that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be specifically fit in any particular endurance event. It just basically means like you have to be moving forward. You have to be moving forward most of the time that you're awake, but you have to do it in a way that doesn't get you something that, you know, keeps you from being able to move the next day. So like any type of tendon issues, you know, muscle issues, things like that, I'm going to be trying to avoid so that, uh, you know, being too aggressive early doesn't lead to 
days off, which would obviously set you back in terms of your progress, my progress heading, heading forward. So in order to kind of dial some of those things in and get a better understanding of how I will actually be able to navigate one day to the next is I'm going to start building in these like three day simulations over the next few weeks. And I'm going to start much lower than what I plan to target on the any given day and work up to essentially a three day stretch where I'll do almost exactly what I would do on any of those days other than Transcon. And with that, I'll be working on things like what is a good pacing strategy? Is it a blend of a little bit of faster running with more walking or is it a more consistent, really slow run the whole time? I'll be kind of playing around with some of those things, see where I gravitate to. Ultimately, I'm going to be open-minded during the event itself to be able to, you know, go between some of those strategies too. Cause I do think, you know, dealing with like boredom and monotony and things like that is part of the, going to be part of the process. But um, a few, a few pieces of data, just to kind of let people know what it, what it looks like here. It's a 3000 mile route. You go through 11 States starts in California, go through Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then ultimately New York. Um, The, the nutrition side of this, I think, is going to be another really interesting one. And I know a lot of folks that tune into this podcast tune in because they're curious about kind of my nutrition protocol since I follow like a relatively low carbohydrate diet. Um, it does typically periodize a little bit in terms of how much carbohydrates I'm having within the context of a low carbohydrate diet. Uh, and a lot of that is driven by kind of the race I'm training for. So that's the other big difference. Uh, you know, usually I'm training for something around a hundred mile, uh, or even you could look at it from a time standpoint of around 12 hours. Uh, and that's kind of the intensity metric that you're going to fit within that time window. So this is going to be quite a bit different in terms in, in the sense that the intensity is going to be even that much lower. So what that does is it kind of opens up another window for folks like myself who focus on low carbohydrate to possibly go even lower, uh, more closely to like a strict ketogenic diet. Uh, just because there's going to be very little of any glycolytic like activities going on during this this effort. In fact, that's something I'm going to hopefully avoid at all costs when I'm out there running across. So uh, I still think there's probably some strategic value in some carbohydrate, even with the low intensity. So I'm not necessarily going to eliminate it altogether or go zero carb for the run across. But it's another thing I'll play around with a little bit in the training in some of those simulations that I'll do leading in to the into the event itself and kind of play around with where it goes. So I'm, I'm pretty open-minded on kind of where that falls. Uh, the one thing I do know is it's going to be in the low carbohydrate stretch of things, since that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 10 plus years. It's uh, it's not something I'm going to like flip on its head at this point in time, unless I see a, a major reason to do so. Uh, you know, I've been really fortunate with some of the more recent guests that have come on the podcast and have just kind of shared some of their advice and some of their stories that have gone along with some of these longer type efforts. Some of them specific to the transcontinental run that I'll be doing, some of them uh, different, but still a lot of similarities where they're doing multi-day long haul type of things like this and uh, getting kind of an idea of what they said works, what I should look out for uh, and account for and things like that has been very valuable. So if you're really interested in that, I'll be releasing quite a few of those in the next coming weeks where I'm talking to uh, folks like Ray Zahab, who's run across the Sahara Desert. Uh, the Pete Kosselnick interview is actually already out. Uh, we had uh, Dean Karnasis come on and my wife, Nicole, 
and I interviewed him and asked him about some of his longer haul efforts that he's done. He's actually gone west to east and east to west on the on transcontinental efforts. So he had a he had some some cool stuff to share. And uh, most recently, I spoke with uh, Cinder Wolf, and she actually was uh, uh, one of the kind of crew members for both Pete Kostelnik, um, as well as Sandy, who has the the course record for women on the transcontinental run. So she was there for that one too. She had a lot of really interesting things to share around, especially around nutrition and just kind of how that plays. Because one thing I'm definitely going to have to practice during the simulation is just how do I manage to get in enough food from one day to the next versus what I'm typically doing in training. So to give you some perspective on that, what Cinder shared with me is she said that it's not quite as simple as kind of thinking like, you're going to hit X number of calories every day. Therefore, we need to make sure you're eating that specific number. She said it ebbs and flows a fair bit, especially depending on where you are in the country. So like going over the Sierras and when you're getting up into those higher altitude areas, you're just going to burn more calories from that. So part of it's because you're going through steeper terrain. Part of it's just you're going to burn more calories at altitude than you would at sea level, especially when you're working. Um, I'm not very versed on kind of how exactly that, if there is an equation works with that in terms of, uh, like X number of thousand of feet above sea level can induce an extra caloric demand of a certain amount. So I may actually try to find someone who has done some research on that sort of thing and, 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 and just tap into their ideas about that. But Cinder seemed to think there was a pretty wide variety where, you know, there may be days where targeting 10,000 calories is enough, but then there may be some days when you're up in the higher altitudes where you're going to be hitting closer to 17,000 calories. So getting that kind of dialed in will be interesting, just generally speaking. And I'll definitely be using those simulation days to kind of figure that out. Like what is going to be a good strategy in terms of getting that energy in without causing like digestive issues or, um, you know, feeling like I'm full all the time, all while trying to run all day long, which I think is going to be uh, something that's just going to be needed to be ironed out through through actually doing versus trying to kind of guess at it and then hope it works well and learning it on the road, so to speak. Uh, so that's another thing. One thing Cinder did share with me was they were when when she's helped folks out with this type of stuff. Um, you've really got to target like super high energy uh, foods that are very low volume. So we're talking like very, very little, if any fiber, if you can, can avoid it. It's just like things that are going to take up space and not give a big energy return is going to just get in your way over the course of something like this. So uh, she said that like targeting a lot of, I think she was, she was talking a lot about a lot, a lot of full fat dairy type stuff, just adding like full creams and things, uh, cheeses and stuff like that. Just basically putting that stuff in and on everything. So you're just, making something that would otherwise be moderate amount of calories, very high calories in a very small package. So when people think of like a smoothie, they probably think, oh, you know, it's maybe three, 400 calories or something like that. If I have a smoothie during the transcontinental run, it's going to be a thousand plus calorie smoothie. And it's going to have a lot of like heavy whipping cream and that sort of stuff in it uh, just to get that energy in at a very, at a relatively small volume. So that'll be kind of interesting to play around with. Um, and that's actually one thing I've been starting to kind of play around with once or, or as I kind of get going here is just introducing more dairy products into my nutrition, just because if I'm going to be having a lot of foods with a lot of dairy in it, I do think it's probably something I need to kind of adjust to a bit. I've eaten 
a fair bit of dairy over the last year or so. I've gone back and forth on dairy throughout my kind of low carbohydrate nutrition in the past. I've taken it out altogether for upwards to a year and I've brought it in in a fairly high amount at times. So it is something I'm going to play around with and continue to try to add a little bit more into that. Um, so that kind of takes us to the the first week of kind of the build up here for for the for the the project itself. Um, we'll start with the nutrition since I'm kind of on that thread right now at the moment. So the first week, some of the staples that I was kind of targeting uh, was dairy. So I've been kind of adding more like full fat cheeses, yogurts, milks, creams, and sour cream. Those things have been finding their way into like the majority of my meals. So like. Uh, for example, one thing I've been doing for dinners a lot is I've been making kind of like a low carb, like taco salad. And it's just like uh full fat ground beef, like 70, 73, 27, if I can find it um, with a heaping scoop of like sour cream in there, uh, some seasoning in there uh, with some shredded lettuce. And that, that's been something that's been uh, I've been been mixing in quite a bit to kind of introduce some more more dairy into my into my dinner meals and things like that. Uh, ground beef has been something I've been doing a fair bit of salmon, the carbohydrate sources I have been targeting so far have been like sourdough bread, uh, potatoes, melons, berries, and some apples. That's kind of been some of the staple carbohydrates I've been using this last week. The, as I get closer, I'll start phasing out some of those that are more fiber-based. So like the melons, the berries, the apples, the potatoes, I'll probably start to kind of skew away from them a little bit and maybe focus a little more on what carbohydrates I, carbohydrates I do have being a little more energy dense, uh, low volume. So the sourdough bread may stick around, but other things like maybe um, like honey or something like that, or if, if I would decide to keep carbohydrates in at even say like a 10% level, if we're talking about a 10,000 calorie day, there may be some value in um, you know, some sort of like, like a defiber juice or something like that. But a lot of the carbohydrates I'll probably ultimately end up using for the event itself will be uh, S feels race plus, which, uh, you know, S feels is my nutrition sponsor and they make a low carbohydrate, uh, kind of catalog of different products that I use. And one of theirs, uh, is based, does have a carbohydrate base that I'll use for like higher intensity things or races when I'm trying to defend muscle glycogen, uh, during some of these longer, slightly faster efforts. Um, so those will be some, that'll be something I probably do use during the transcontinental in terms of where I'll get some of the carbohydrates. So I'll probably start bringing that in just so I'm used to it more. So when I, uh, you know, get out there on the, the day of, and I know that I'm able to tolerate a, enough of it. Uh, but I haven't started kind of introducing that yet because we're still kind of away from a lot of the simulations and things like that. So for those who are like wondering about the actual kind of ratios along that right now, um, since my training does still have a little bit of intensity in it and my volume has picked up, uh, usually I keep myself in around a 10 to 20% carbohydrate range when I'm kind of have some speed workouts on the schedule as well as uh, some volume. So Right now, this last week, it was about 15% carbohydrate, about 20% protein, uh, and 65% fat. Um, with those staples that I kind of talked about, I'll have also have some stuff like uh, the S-Fuels Life Bars or the um, S-Fuels Train, which is their like protein and fat-based uh, supplements if I need something that's a little uh, more uh, calorie-dense and 
in vol in low volume, like between meals and things like that. Like if I'm going to go out for a second run. So to give some context to that, the first week of training, I hit 131.58 miles and I did it in a little bit of a different way than I normally would. Usually I'd probably make that a little more even and then have like kind of a couple or one long run that would maybe stick out a little bit. But for this particular one, I had kind of three days that stood out a little bit as being longer days. Um, the first day was uh, like a 20 miler in the morning and a five mile run hike in the afternoon. One thing I started introducing is a little bit more kind of run hike type of a mechanic on some of my second runs of the day, just to kind of get that dialed in a little bit, because I think especially on some of these steeper areas going up the, the mountains and things like that are on days where I may be feeling a little more rundown than normal. I think being able to move forward, even at a walking pace is going to be very valuable. So I want to make sure that, you know, I have that kind of skill set dialed in enough to be able to lean on it in those times. Uh, so the first four days, including that 20 miler and that five miler, I did kind of two a days where I'd run in the morning, then the afternoon. And then I kind of reserved the last three days of the week for just solo runs. So Tuesday, day two was just, just under 10 miles, followed by about just over seven and a half. The seven and a half was a run hike. Then I did something pretty similar the next day, just under 10 miles in the morning, just over nine in the afternoon. Then I started introducing some of the speed work. So I am going to keep in some faster running. I think throughout this plan, partly just because, like I said before, I don't think this is necessarily a type of effort where the best fitness is going to get me across the country. I think it's going to be whatever like physique, I guess you'd say I can build through running and strength work. That's going to like keep me from getting injured and breaking down. Uh, so I think like some of these like faster, shorter intervals and things like that are just going to be things that are going to keep me a little stronger then if I'm just out there slogging around at kind of goal transcon pace the entire time. Uh, so I did what you'd call like a block workout with some short intervals on uh, Thursday and Friday last week. And I did both of those in morning sessions. The Thursday session was rather short, but it was like 7.3 miles. And I did what you'd call like a fart leg workout, which is essentially just uh, like a speed play thing where you're not necessarily trying to hit like X distance for each interval or X time for each interval. You more or less just say, okay, I'm going to run from this spot and pick a spot down the road or wherever you are and just run hard to that. Uh, it's just a little less structured way to do it. And sometimes I like to kind of bring those in, in the early stages of it too, just cause it's, they tend to be a little more fun for me and, uh, they're not quite as monotonous as like kilometer repeats or, you know, two minutes on, two minutes off, two minutes on, two minutes off, that sort of thing. Um, and I, like I said, I blocked those. So blocking a workout is essentially doing something hard one day or something specific one day and then doing it again the following day versus kind of a more traditional structure of hard, easy, hard that you a lot of times see in endurance plans. So Friday, I just did a single run. It was just under 10 and a half miles. It was another Bartlett session like I'd done on Thursday. So short intervals, more or less in terms of how it kind of plays out as the target. Uh, but that was just the structure of the workout. And that was a solo run. For those curious about just block training in general, it's something that has been pretty common in ultra marathon running, but mostly specific to the long runs. So a lot of times when people are doing ultra marathons or training for them, they'll do what you call like a back-to-back -back long run. So that's kind of like blocking your quality long session. And the, the reasons that people do them kind of vary. I mean, there's, there's, it's probably about as much of a, as a mental 
benefit as anything where you're kind of going out that second day and you're like, okay, I've got some tired legs. I'm going to go and run long and slow uh, and kind of try to replicate how you're going to maybe feel in the second half of the race. But ultimately, I just think it's a kind of a good vehicle to build a lot of volume at the goal race intensity you plan on hitting. So if I were to block long runs for, say, a 100-mile training block, I'd be doing them at the intensity I hope to run that 100-mile at in the environment that I'm planning on racing. So I'm going to kind of take that same strategy to a degree here. Uh, the intensity is just going to be a bit lower because at no point during the transcontinental run will I be running as fast as I would for, say, a flat 100-miler. Uh, but that's kind of how block training entered ultramarathon running. Block training has been something that's been used in endurance training in general, though, uh, usually more so with the speed sessions. So there's some rules to maybe consider or some kind of pointers to maybe consider with that if you're considering doing block training. One is I always recommend that if you're going to do the block training and do two quality sessions back to back, definitely make sure you've exhausted your progress in a hard, easy, hard schedule first. So whether you're strength training or running, working on intervals or uh, long intervals, tempo runs or long runs, uh, the hard, easy, hard is going to be the safer way to do it from an injury standpoint. Uh, it's also going to be safer in terms of not causing you to potentially overreach and do so much that your body doesn't quite recover. And then you end up taking steps back versus steps forward. So if you've never gone through like a hard, easy, hard structure and training, that's a better place to start. You're actually probably going to get more gains from doing that if you don't have any experience with it than you will by trying to like leverage the additional the small additional benefits you get from block training but if you're someone like myself who did you know full seasons of track and cross country in high school college periodized training for years after i've done so much hard easy hard that uh it's it's something where i probably maximized you know my value and there doesn't mean it's not going to improve my fitness if I kind of go from an off season into a season and do that hard, easy, hard structure, it's just where I, my development has been from being in the sport, as long as I have by blocking workouts, you can eke out a small bit of kind of performance gain by condensing that time window between those hard sessions. So since I've done that, and I'm also not very injury prone, that's the other thing you want to consider if you're thinking about blocking workouts is have you had injuries recently or do you typically get injured from things? So usually my rule of thumb for myself and for my coaching clients, is if you've been injury free uh, for a year to two years, that's probably a pretty good sign that you can you can tolerate potentially adding that little bit of extra stressor or that little bit of extra risk that is going to come with blocking your workouts. Um, but again, it, there's a lot of context and individuality there. So Take me, for example, uh, I do block short interval sessions, as you saw for this week, but that is the one I have to pay very close attention to. Because if I do injure myself, it typically is from doing speed sessions, short interval stuff versus saying just doing a lot of extra volume. I tend to bounce back from low intensity, long sessions pretty quick relative to how quickly I bounce back from, say, like a short interval session. So when I am blocking those workouts, a lot of times, especially early in a plan, I'm probably not going to get as specific as doing one of my bigger short interval sessions followed by another pretty big one, just because it gets a little more risky for me to do that. Um, and that's just individual context though. So let's see, that got me through this week. Uh, this next week uh, is going to be kind of a little bit of the same to a degree. I'm going to probably build out some of the long run stuff. 
uh, and and hit on that a little bit more specifically and add that in and but then keep in some of that speed work. I, I ended this last week with a couple of solo long runs. It was 24 and a half miles and 23.1 miles, both of which were at uh, altitude. My wife and I actually went kind of just uh, kind of northeast of where we live here in Phoenix and got up uh, near what they call Mount Baldy kind of in uh, northeast Arizona. And that was about 9,000 feet is where we were at. So I was definitely noticing a little bit of the altitude as well as the first day, some of the trails and things like that. So we were, time on feet was actually a fair bit longer than what the mileage indicates, which is totally fine for what I'm trying to do right now. I'm more inclined to just spend long days on feet, regardless of what the pace is, because that's going to probably prepare me uh, a little bit more so for just the, the mental and physical aspect of having to be out there moving all day long. Uh, during the the transcontinental project itself, so that came out to be like about a five, a little over five hour session, and a little over three hour session on Saturday, Sunday, um, and the Saturday session actually was kind of fun. We had it was actually a fairly runnable trail loop that we did, but there was a lot of uh, tree falls from I guess from the winter up near the the top of the the loop that we did. So about two to three miles heading to the peak of Mount Baldy, and then about two to three miles heading down. We were just basically every like 100, 150 meters climbing over, jumping over, going under or around some fallen tree that hadn't gotten cleared off the trail there yet. So that added a little bit of extra, um, a little bit of extra adventure to the to the run and, and probably an extra hour or so into the, the time of the run itself. But uh, it was kind of fun to do something a little different and, and check that out as well. Um, so that kind of took me to the end of the week from the training standpoint. And uh, Monday, I, I took a rest day just to kind of let everything set in. I'm going to be a lot more uh, consistent with taking rest days compared to what I normally do. When I'm doing, say, like a 100-mile training plan, I'll take rest days throughout that buildup when I need them, but it usually ends up playing out to maybe two, at most three rest days per month or one every two weeks. Sometimes I'll stretch out even longer than that if things are clicking along and I just don't feel like I need it. For this particular buildup, I'm going to take a lot more rest days, but part of that's just because I'm going to be starting to focus way more very long days. Like ultimately when I get to the point where I do a three-day simulation for uh, the transcontinental run, if you think about that, you know, three days that are going to replicate what I could potentially do day in and day out on transcon could be 70 plus mile days. So if I do three days of those in a row, I'm already at 200 plus miles after three days. So after that, I'm going to probably take a couple, if not a few days completely off. And then even as I build up to that, because I won't just go out and do a three-day simulation at goal transcontinental uh, you know, distance or time on feet right away. I'll start out a little slower. I might do like, say, you know, 20 miles in the morning, 20 miles in the afternoon for the first one, and then add a little bit to that for the for next one, and then ultimately get up to that closer to the actual simulation. So even with like, say, three days of 20 in the morning, 20 in the afternoon, Again, I'm still looking at 120 miles in three days. So there's going to be, there's just going to need to be rest days in there. And that's actually one of the lessons that I really took away from my build up to the Desert Salsa's track invitation at the end of 2020 was I was doing some of the highest volume training I'd ever done before. And I don't, after just some time thinking about that, I've gone back and forth as to like where I thought the value in that was versus where the costs were and the risks. And Ultimately, I think what I, the conclusion I've come to is, is maybe a little bit less about like some of the bigger days or even some of the bigger weeks that I did. It was maybe just too much of it for the first time of doing it. 
Or the other way to maybe look at it is I maybe should have had a similar buildup to that, but instead of trying to string multiple weeks in a row without a rest day, do kind of the same plan, but just pull a random day out of there. So if that meant going 30 miles less that week, as I pull one day that would have normally have 30 miles out of there and just rest instead, you're still getting a pretty good training load in there, but you're also getting a little extra rest. So I'm going to kind of pull from that a little bit with the understanding that any one big simulation day is going to be even more aggressive than a single day that I did for the desert solstice build. So I need to be very mindful of that so that staying healthy, staying strong, and, you know, ultimately able to make it through the training in a way that's going to have me in a position to be able to kind of get across the country as quickly as, as possible. So, um, that's, that's basically all I have for, for this first check-in. Like I kind of said in the beginning, I'm going to be doing these, uh, pretty consistently targeting Wednesdays at one. So if you're interested in hearing the live stuff, they'll be here on YouTube. And, uh, then ultimately I'll get it up on the, the podcast audio stuff as well, probably right after, so if you're more of an audio listener, just look forward to that popping up pretty quick after the live stream and just kind of check in and see how things are going. If I make adjustments or changes, I'll share that with you. I want to kind of share like the, the how I kind of structure nutrition and things along the way with it, too, and how that's going to maybe shift as I move more closer to specific things to what I'll be doing uh, for the event itself, the project itself. So I think that'll be interesting to kind of highlight. And if nothing else, I'll at least have a I guess it wouldn't be a paper trail, be an audio trail of kind of like how I went about this and, um, you know, whether things go great, terribly or somewhere in between for this project, I'll be able to like look back and see what I did for it and kind of have that there. So um, a couple of quick announcements before we take off. Uh, I do want to highlight a few things for folks who are interested. I've got some discount codes for people who want to check out some of the things that uh, that I'm using. So if you are interested, you can always head over to my social media channels on Instagram. It's at Zach Bitter. Twitter, it's at Z Bitter. And then my website has links to all this stuff, which is just ZachBitter.com. Uh, but some of my sponsors and supporters are offering you some discounts on their products. So if you find that the stuff I'm using will work well for you, Links over there can be uh, can be found for that. So just to share what some of those are, is I have a 15% off Ultra Footwear. And Ultra Footwear is a natural running company. Their goal is to let your foot do what it would do naturally without a shoe, but protect you from whatever environment you send you, you go out into. So if uh, you know that discount is good for uh, North America, uh, it, you just gotta head onto their website. Uh, there's the 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 promo code is on my social media profiles if you want to do that. Uh, egg weights is also offering a 15% off with just promo code Zach one five. So if you think the egg wakes products are something you maybe want to check out, you can get 15% off your order by just typing in promo code Zach one five, um, purpose performance wear is the apparel that I use. I actually have a signature series with them at the moment. They are giving 10% off any of that with just promo code Zach 10. Um, S fuels, my nutrition sponsor. I spoke about a bit earlier in the podcast has a 5% off discount code with just promo Zach B five Coros. That's the watch. Got it on right here. It's a GPS watch that'll track your, your activity. It'll track your, um, pace. It'll tell you everything from heart rate to your sleep metrics and things like that. They're offering free access accessories. So if you get a watch and you want an extra watch band or a t-shirt or something like that to come with it, promo code Zach will get you that. 
And then finally, uh, squirrels nut butter, they make a uh, anti-chafe solvent. So if you're out there working out, especially in hot, warm environments, and you notice parts of your skin start to rub and you get rashes and things from that, that can be very effective for that. They're offering 10% off their anti-chafe stuff. So that one is a click-through link. So head over to my uh, profile links if you want to check out any of that stuff. Otherwise, folks, if you have um, uh, if you have any questions or things that you'd like me to address on a future kind of Q&A uh, topic, please do send them over and uh, I will uh, bring them into uh, bring them into another another one of these live shows. So uh, thanks, folks, for for tuning in for this one. Looking forward to doing some more down the road. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at ZachBitter.com or my social media channels at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.